Hey, a few uh, weeks ago, it was uh, actually the, la- the last part of August, I was able to travel back to my, to my hometown of Weldon, Illinois, to share uh, with my church that I grew up in. And um, I've kind of talked about that a little bit, walking back into that sanctuary after all this, this time uh, brought back a lot of memories and uh, shared some of those. One of the things uh, we, as part of the United Methodist Church, you go through a confirmation class and uh, had to uh, uh, learn the Apostles' Creed, and so uh, that didn't go so well for me, and uh, Reverend Bassett. Uh, our pastor then was not too happy uh, with me and all the time that it took me to memorize that short Apostles' Creed. But uh, uh, even before that, I grew up in that church. I mean, literally grew up in that church. Mom used to work for the church. And so when I was real little, I got to spend a lot of time there at the church. And I had the, the play or I had the run of the entire church all to myself and so I would go to the piano and I would bang out some sort of beautiful song that I thought at least was beautiful and and I would even go behind the sanctuary there was kind of like this little secret office back there uh, it's where they printed off the bulletin on the mimeograph machine uh, raise your hand if you remember the mimeograph machine. We're dating ourselves, right? Uh, but when I walked back into that church and I walked up onto the stage that day, I swear that it still smelled like the mimeograph machine. And, and if you know what I'm talking about, you, you cannot forget that smell of the mimeograph ink, right? I also remember going back uh, into one of my Sunday school classrooms there and Uh, There in the back of that classroom, kind of over in the corner, catty corner in the corner, was the obligatory large wooden reversible chalkboard. You know the one I'm talking about, that big wooden one, and on one side was a, a giant chalkboard, and on the other side was the world's largest flannel graph. Raise your hand if you remember flannel graphs, okay? Now we're, we're dating ourselves again. We are very old. So um, if you don't know what a flannel graph is, it's a, well, it's just a large piece of felt that covered up this entire board, and the teacher would take out these uh, felt uh, pictures of all the different Bible characters, and, and she would stick them, the felt would stick to the felt, and she would play out the story or tell the story using these felt. And, and we kind of make fun of flannel graph now. It seems like it was a really old-fashioned way to, to tell the story, but don't knock the power of a story because it's been 45 years and I still remember my teacher telling the story on the flannel graph. So I decided that we were going to bring you a more modern version of the flannel graph today. Uh, And so we're going to have this video share the story. This is David. David was a shepherd who lived in Bethlehem. David was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel when he was just a boy. But David had to wait a very long time until that promise would come true because there was another king of Israel named Saul. Saul led the armies of Israel. One day, King Saul was with his army near the Valley of Elah. 
On the other side of this valley, the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, gathered their army ready to fight. The Philistines had a giant warrior named Goliath who challenged the Israelites. Hey! Goliath spoke badly of God and his people. He shouted and taunted them, saying, Choose one man to come down here and fight me. The Israelites and King Saul were very afraid. Meanwhile, David's father sent David to bring some food to his brothers and their captain. Goliath came out of the Philistines' army, and David heard him shout his usual mean taunts to the army of Israel. Whoa, what? As soon as the Israelites saw Goliath, they began to run away in fright. See ya! David asked, Who is this Philistine anyway that he has allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David's questions were reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Uh, hi! David said, Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Saul said, There's no way you can fight him and win. You're only a boy. Wait! But David told Saul that he had taken care of his father's sheep and rescued them from lions and bears. Then David declared, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul said, All right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. David picked up five smooth stones from a stream. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight Goliath. When Goliath saw him coming, he sneered at him and yelled bad things at David. But David said, You come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. Goliath moved closer to attack, and David quickly ran out to meet him. He hurled a stone from his sling and hit Goliath in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. But he knew the power of God and trusted God to win the battle against the giant. All right, so that's our our modern-day flannel graph. You see, even as we... uh, use that animation that they're using kind of flannel graph uh, uh, figures there. So I I think it'd be appropriate if you turn to your neighbor right now and said, to them. It's my my favorite part of the whole video. (laughs) This story is found in the Old Testament. It's found in the first book of Samuel. It's uh, chapter 17. Now, this story is a long story. It's about 58 verses long. So we're not going to read the whole story. We're just going to uh, look at a verse here and there. But chances are you probably know this story or you probably have heard this story at at some point. Um, David has become the spokesman for the underdog and uh, the one who has to overcome great odds and uh, to get a victory over a formidable enemy and opponent. The Philistines, which were Israel, Israel's greatest enemy, had found this great champion. He's nine foot tall. He's a hardened warrior. He's been fighting battles for a long time. He knew what he was doing. And so he comes out and he's challenging the Israelites to send out their best fighter to a one-on-one fight to see who's the strongest and to see which army is, is going to, to win. 
And everybody from the Israelite army looks at this giant and says, count me out. I don't want any, any part of this. You, you got to be mad. You got to be crazy to take on this guy. But at the same time, they had to show up every single day. They couldn't just ignore this threat. And the honor of their nation was at stake here. And so every day they showed up in this valley and the stalemate began. And every day for a month and a half, Goliath would come and he would deliver this challenge to the Israelites. This is what he says, verse, verse 8. He says, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight me. And so every day the Israelites show up here in this valley and I can imagine as the day closes and nobody does anything except sit still, they return back to their camp and they're, they're more and more demoralized and they're more and more afraid. And then into this uh, scene, into the story comes our hero, uh, the young son of Jesse. He's sent there by, on an errand by his father and you can you'd imagine David, he's this young, young kid, can't you? He's, he's been behind the scenes this whole time. He's been taking care of the this, this sheep this whole time. But, but he's a young boy, and he wants to be where the action is. And he wants to see the fighting men of the army. And so when he finds them, he also sees Goliath across the valley. And he's coming out, and he's giving his daily challenge to the Israelites. And so he asks questions, and the men near him fill him in on what's going on, and they, they tell him how desperate the king is, they, how desperate King Saul is for someone to volunteer to fight this giant Goliath. Now, I think we need to pause the story here for just a little bit because there's something missing here, uh, maybe just a little bit of history lesson. Remember, there was a time of the nation of Israel uh, that was... Just God is their ruler and God alone. But then the people started complaining and they wanted a human ruler to, to watch over them. And so God appointed judges to rule over them, to look over them. But that wasn't good enough for them. And after a period of time, they said, we want a king. We want a king just like all the other nations have a king. Give us a king, God. And, and so King Saul, the same king from this story, is the first King. Now, he was chosen because of his outward appearance. He was a good-looking guy, and he stood a head taller than anybody else. King Saul was the Israelite version of Goliath. He was the greatest of the warriors. Uh, he stood taller than everyone else, yet he was intimidated by Goliath every day for over a month. So King Saul should have been, he was the, the rightful one to go out and to volunteer and to go out and face Goliath. And he was the logical one that needed to go out and face Goliath, but he wanted someone else to do it. He wanted to volunteer and no one was stepping up. And so here is this boy, here is David. And he's listening to the soldiers and he's listening to the king and he's in disbelief. And he says, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against the army of the Lord? 
Now, David, this little boy, this, this young boy, understands what's going on here. On one side, we have this Philistine and the army of, of, or the enemy of Israel. And when he calls him uncircumcised, it's just kind of a shorthand for somebody that doesn't have a relationship with God. And someone who's relying on idols, someone who's relying on a false god. So that's who we have on one side of the valley. But on the other side, we have the armies of the living God. On one side is mere mortals. The other side is fueled and supported by the living God. Now, now to us, and especially since we know how this story ends, it seems like this is an unfair fight. Forget the fact that Goliath is nine feet tall. There's nothing, there's nothing compared to the God the living God who has made the world, who has made everything in it, who formed the heavens with, with his fingers and his voice. There's nothing compared to this living God. But why does no one see it? Why does no one there uh, in that valley, why did none of the Israelites did they ever see this? How come no one else understood besides David, this young boy, what's going on? How come we don't see our battles the same way? How come we don't recognize who's on our side? Why don't, or why do we act as if we're defeated when we're serving the living God? Some people think that, that David was just naive. He just didn't understand uh, the danger that he was getting himself into. And uh, perhaps they thought that he was a little overconfident because he was so, so young. Um, maybe you've seen the same video. Uh, I saw it recently, a couple days ago, um, where a dad goes and he's, he's trying to test his two young daughters. And he goes up to them all excited and he says, come on girls, I need you to go to the park with me. There's a guy there that I have to fight. And he has two daughters and I need you to fight the daughters while I fight the dad. Now one of the girls is, is scared to death and she's like, what, what are you talking about? Are you serious? Now, the other sister says, I got you, Dad. I'm going to knock her teeth out. A lot of people think that's how David was that day. He just didn't understand. He was headstrong. He was, he was arrogant. He was ready to jump into a fight that he just didn't know anything about it. But David has a different story. David is, is confident because he knows who he's fighting for. He knows who's on his side. He knows the living God, and he's been, been fighting for the living God all of his life, even though it's been a short life. He sat out on the hills. He took care of those sheep, and I, I imagine he just kind of laid down at night, and he looked up at the, the stars and just the wonder of God and the creator and how big and how powerful he was. And then he tells the story that there were times when, when the wild animals and the lions and the bears threatened his sheep and God helped him each time to defeat these wild animals. So he's seen, 
He's experienced the way that God has been with him and has protected him. And he remembered the times that God had given him victory in the past. And so he looks across this valley and he sees that giant standing there. And he sees just another man who chooses to oppose God. And he knows that no one, no one is compared to the living God. So David takes off to the fight, um, to fight the giant with a wooden staff and a sling, and he finds himself five small rocks. And Goliath is understandably a little amused when this young boy is approaching him. In fact, he, he laughs at David coming at him uh, with a stick. He says, what am I, just a dog that you come at me with a stick? But Goliath has miscalculated what's happening here. David isn't coming against Goliath armed with just a stick. He's coming armed with the living God. He's coming armed with the power of the one who created everything around them. And so he says in verse 45, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. If you realize the, the power of the one that's backing you up, if you realize that just like David did, if you realize that you have the power of God himself, you can almost feel sorry for Goliath in this story. He doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't get who is coming up against him. He thinks this is just a young boy. And so as David said, and I do this so all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel and that all these people will know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And you know the rest of the story, right? Stone, forehead, dead. That's it. That's the end of the story, right? Um, and then, well, we leave that part off in kid zone where David cuts off Goliath's head and carries it around. We leave that part out. So, um, but this isn't the first her Herman. This is the first sermon you've ever heard of of David and Goliath, is it? You've heard us. You've heard sermons about David and Goliath. I preached about David and Goliath before. In fact, if you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard this story at some time or another. It's even used in secular leadership books. It's, it's taught in colleges. It's given as part of motivational speeches. And that's because you and I can see ourselves in this story and we can get something out of this story because you and I may not have fought a nine-foot-tall giant, but we do have giants in our life. And so there's some traditional lessons from this story, and I could add a sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon of all these traditional stories that come out of this. So I just gave you four here. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. The Lord is bigger than your fear. The Lord's bigger than your fear. Twice a day, Goliath came out and he's ridiculing the, the Israelites for a month and a half. That means 80 times 
80 times Goliath comes out and taunts the Israelites and ridicules their God, our God. 80 times and not one person was brave enough to take the challenge because all of them were paralyzed by their fear. Fear enabled God's cause to to go unavenged. Fear allowed this giant to, to ridicule the Jehovah for over a month. Fear took hold of God's people in a powerful way and they were paralyzed to do anything about it. And so we as God's people need to be aware of of this danger of fear and proclaim that fear isn't going to be the ruling power in our life. We are above fear. We know this verse. We've heard this verse. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. But before we go on, Today, I want to just warn us a little bit that we look at that verse, we know that verse, and oftentimes we stop that verse a little bit too soon. And we say, for we know that God has not given us the spirit of fear. But that's that's not the whole verse. Or we might say, we know that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Well, that's true. But the power of Christ, which everyone who follows Jesus has that power available to you, is worked through love and a sound mind. There's a difference. We have to be mature in our faith to to know what to do with this power that Jesus has given us. And if we leave love or if we leave that sound mind behind, we're, we're not working on the Lord's behalf. We've gone our, on our own. But there's another lesson here from David and Goliath. Number two, we do have to take a stand even though others will not. None of Saul's men would take up this challenge, none of them. Perhaps as we mentioned earlier, they're all looking at Saul. I mean, Saul was the king. Saul should have been the one. I mean, he's almost seven foot tall. Uh, If someone should face this giant, then surely it was Saul, but neither he nor any of the other soldiers would take this challenge. David, however, was willing to, to act even though others were fearful, even though other people were hesitant to take up this challenge. And he willingly said, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And King Saul eventually says, all right, go ahead. Go right ahead. See, David had to do something that others would not. And that's not easy for us. Sometimes we have to act and sometimes we need to do things that that others just aren't going to do. It takes a lot of courage to stand on your own and not be like everyone else and not follow the crowd. And yes, the church needs brave men and and women like David who will take a stand to, to be willing to act, to give themselves completely over to God, even though... The people around you don't. But by taking a stand for Jesus, I don't don't mean that we're told to defy everyone who doesn't agree with us. I, um, I don't think that's really what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus every single day. 
Now, there are times that we as followers need to put our foot down and be defiant against a culture that doesn't follow Christ. But when I'm saying we need to take a stand for Jesus, I'm talking about our daily life. I mean, things like asking these questions of ourselves. Do I confess that Jesus Christ is the Savior? Am I confessing that he is the Lord, not just at church, but everywhere I go, does your love for him resonate in your heart and in your actions? Do others know Jesus by the way that you love others? See, I highly doubt, at least I hope, there's not going to be any history books written about me, but if there was, this is how I want them to talk about me. This is what I want my legacy to be, that I loved people well. Instead of just all the things that I'm defiant and that I don't agree with, I want people to know me for the love that I showed to others. The people who know me best should absolutely be certain that Jesus is my Lord. And the same is for you. The people that know you best should know for certain that you follow Jesus and he is your highest priority because if they don't, there's something desperately wrong with your walk. Whatever else I may get done in this world, God help me take this stand for him every single day. Help me live my life for Jesus. There's another traditional lesson from this story, number three. Use what you have and leave the rest to God. David went into battle with what he had. He had a stick and he has a sling. He just happened to stop by that stream and picked up five smooth stones. And his confidence wasn't in in the things that he had. His confidence was in the God he had. David knew that God was in control. David knew that God was going to be the one to defeat Goliath. And he confidently declared in verses 45 through 47, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, for the battle is the Lord's. He used everything that he had, and that included the power of God. But maybe the most popular lesson from this, number four, is God is bigger than any of your giants. You might be fighting some kind of giant in your life. Uh, You might have this giant problem that you're facing right now, a giant challenge. It, It may be even a giant addiction. And as days go by, that giant seems like it's getting bigger and bigger and stronger and taunting you every single day and you feel like you're powerless against this giant. Maybe you're facing the giant of sin. And there's a certain area in your life that, uh, where you f- find yourself falling repeatedly and repeatedly and you just can't seem to get victory over this. See, that giant is, is anyone or it's anything that seeks to control you, to hurt you, to destroy you, to, to torment you, to think that you're powerless against it. 
The good news is, and the simple lesson from this story is that God's bigger than that giant you face. God is bigger. If God can help this boy defeat a nine-foot-tall giant, then he certainly can help whatever you're going through. But, just like last week, all of these lessons are good, and I don't think that any of them are wrong, and I think there's, we're quick to apply these lessons to our life, and that's great, but I'm, I think we're missing the point of this story. I, I think we're doing it again, just like last week wasn't really about Abraham and Isaac. This story really isn't about David and Goliath. This story is about a God with dirty hands. This story is about a God with bloody hands who's not afraid to go into battle on your behalf. This story is about a God who's already defeated your giant. So I believe the point of David and Goliath is not to inspire us And uh, so we go out of here feeling all inspired to face those difficulties in our life with God's help. That makes for a great story and it makes for a great movie. But the point of David and Goliath is to point us to Jesus. See, before David stepped into the scene, Saul and those, those other warriors of Israel are on that mountain and they were depressed and they were discouraged Because the enemy came every single day and he was relentless and it taunted them and it it threatened them and it tormented them. And the lives of these people were completely transformed though after the victory of David. After that time, their enemy turned and ran and they chased after them. Before David defeated Goliath, these people were hoping for a victory. But after David defeated Goliath, the people were fighting from victory. And there's a big difference between those two things. The story of David and Goliath is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of God with dirty hands, with bloody hands, with nail-pierced hands. The good news of the gospel is that our King, King Jesus, has already given you victory. We don't hope for victories over the giants in our life. We already have victory over the giants because of Jesus. If David is supposed to be Jesus in this story, then you and I are the Israelite army who before the victory was, was powerless and was lost in fear. But once the giant had been defeated, they lived in the light of that victory and everything changed. Christians, followers of the one true God, lovers of Jesus, how might your life be different if you lived from victory instead of always just hoping for victory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these incredible stories. And just, Lord, I just know how you have orchestrated things long, long ago. 
And we can look at them thousands and thousands of years later and still take and unpack things out of this story. We thank you, Lord, that you have defeated our greatest enemy already. You've defeated our enemy. You've defeated the power of sin. It's, it, the price has already been paid. The victory has already been won. And, and Lord, we try and we try and we try uh, to get rid of this sin or to get rid of that to, uh, on our own. We try so hard and we come up short every single time when we try to do it on our own. But Lord, we need to realize just like that nine or that little boy was bigger than a nine foot giant because he had the power of God with him. Lord, we're bigger than our giant because we have you with us. The power of Christ lives within us. Lord, may we, may we fight from victory, knowing we're already on the victorious side. That changes everything we do. For Lord, if I know that I'm fighting for you, I know I cannot lose. That changes everything. Thank you, Lord, for defeating our greatest enemy so that then I can come and fight for you from your victory. It changes everything. Lord, thank you for sacrificing yourself for us. Thank you for being willing to be a God with dirty hands, bloody hands, nail-pierced hands, and you paid the price for us. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.